Welcome to Faith Community Church of Indianapolis. We pray that you are blessed by this message from Pastor John Roberts. To learn more about Faith Community Church, please visit us at FCCIndianapolis.com. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We approach it humbly, Father. We approach it with faith, believing that we're going to, that you, sir, are going to impart to our hearts your will and your way that you will reveal to us, Father, the path that you would have us to take and that you will cause us to be conformed to the image of Christ on the inside of us. In Jesus' name, amen. Faith is a paradox because you're believing in something you don't see. You know, the world will tell you, when I see it, I'll believe it. And God says, no, when you believe it, you'll see it. We live opposite. We live backwards to the world. The world doesn't understand how we live. Personally, I don't, well, I do understand how the world lives. I used to live just like them. But, but faith requires something of us. It requires us to do something on purpose, to do it intentionally. And the, the thought that I, I had here this morning, I added this to my notes, there's a little watchword that, that you hear a lot from secular people um, that, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual. Well, there's a real deception in that viewpoint. Because I can just about guarantee you, and this is not a universal truth, but it's, it's right more times than it's, than it's not right. When someone says that, what they have just said is, I really don't believe anything. I'm just opened my mind and my heart to spiritual things, which according to 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, now the Spirit expressly says... That means he explicitly, let me be perfectly clear is what Paul's telling Timothy. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. If you try to be spiritual apart from a really firm foundation in the Word of God, primarily the New Testament, you are very prone to getting over and, and giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. And sometimes what you hear, you know, if you've, and I, I grew up in the bad old days, 50s and 60s, when, you know, if you had a varmint out on your property, it wasn't uncommon to take a piece of meat, let it get a little ripe, and put a little arsenic or something in it, put some poison in it, set it out for the varmint. Let them eat it. It'll kill them. It's easier than hunting them down, especially if it's a mean varmint, because, you know, you go after it with your dogs, it'll kill your dogs. But you have to have something that attracts the varmint to the poison. And there are a lot of things in this world that look good, sound good, almost sound Christian. In fact, you will find that the world will co-opt the language of Christianity. 
That's why you have to be really anchored into what the, the, the Word says. Uh, Peter said it in his writings that many people, you know, read after Paul, and he was commenting on Paul's writings, which proves Paul was, you know, writing the Word because Peter attested to it. He said, but many people will twist his word to their own destruction. You can take things that sound almost like the word and twist them just a little bit, and you're, you start giving heed the doctrines of devils. So it's, it's important that we, we don't just drift, but it's also important that we really keep ourselves centered on the word. I've said it. I believe it. Prayer is essential to your life. But prayer that's not anchored in the word will get you weird and squirrely. I've seen it happen time after time after time after time in different people's lives. They're committed to prayer. They, I mean, they, I've seen people, they made my prayer life, they put me to shame. And yet, they got off because they, they concentrated so much on prayer, they, they neglected the Word. And then I've seen people just center in on the Word it's the word, the word, the word, the word, the word. They never pray, and they get dry and dusty and usually legalistic and usually judgmental, and they, they end up becoming heresy hunters, and they're out to damn everybody's heresy except their own doctrines, the little pieces that they find important for their life. So there's a balance, but we need to, to center in on the word and do it intentionally. First statement that I made that is so true. In Christianity, life does not produce faith, but faith in the Word produces life. You have to go to the Word. Romans tells us that, that it's, it's hearing. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. You have to know the Word to have faith. Apart from the Word, you can have general faith. I have general faith. I have faith that when I leave here, I'm going to go get my keys. I'm going to get in my little car out here. I'm going to turn that switch. It's going to start up. And it's going to carry me home. And that faith will get answered to the ability that that car can answer my faith. If I happen to leave my lights on, which I didn't, when I get out there, I can have all the faith in the world. I'll turn that key. It's going to start. If that battery's dead, it's not going to start. It's not the, not the absence of my faith. It's the absence of the thing I'm putting my faith in to answer my faith. That's why our faith, and I, I just said it, it's not our Christian life that produces faith, but it's faith in the Word that produces our life. We put faith in Christ, in the Word about Christ. That, that can answer you. Why? Because the written word is backed up by the living word, Jesus Christ himself. And his Holy Spirit will empower that word. And when you plant it in your heart and let it grow, it will transform you. It will change you. It'll change you. It'll, it'll take the parts of your personality that shouldn't be expressed and suppress them and take the parts of your personality that should be expressed and exalt them. And you've all seen this, I, probably, if you've lived long enough. I've witnessed it on several people. I, I will remember <clears throat> after my, my mother passed away, and she was young. She was 55 when she died. Part of the reason I hate cancer, with a passion I hate cancer, because I watch it take a vibrant, loving, healthy woman and just destroy her in five short years. 
But she was only 56. My dad was only 55 when she died. And from 55 to 60, I saw my dad's personality change. I looked at him and I thought, who is this man? I don't know who this is. I've lived around him for, um, at the time I was probably in my 30s, I've lived around him for 30 years and I've never seen this behavior. And it took me a while, but I finally figured out. I was seeing things that were in my dad's personality. He never expressed them when my mom was alive. Why? Because there was a price to pay when you express certain things around my mom. She straightened you out in no uncertain terms. Husband, child, it didn't matter. It's a total stranger. She saw people in the grocery store, seen her do it, say, you know, you shouldn't be talking like that. You're out in public. She'd rebuke anybody for anything if she thought it was wrong. Now, she'd be gentle about it. Well, she's not always gentle with us boys, but, you know, it's kind of like my dad's rule with mules. You've got to take a two-by-four, slap them upside the head to get their attention. Then you can instruct them. Well, Mom wasn't hesitant to whack us with a two-by-four to get our attention. But the Word will do that just as much as your spouse will do that. And, and in fact, it's, this is not in my notes, but it's a good aside. It's one of the reasons that I believe Paul said in Hebrews, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together as is the... the, the um, as is the habit of some. We need to assemble around other Christians because they, will, they should be reinforcing in that same passage that says that we should be provoking one another to good works. Not just provoking one another. That's easy to do. But we should be provoking, or better word for me is to encourage one another to good works. We ought to be, uh, your behavior ought to inspire me to change my behavior and so forth and so on. And there are times when you just, when you're having a problem, you're having weak behavior, you need to come to your brothers and sisters and say, look, I got a problem. My flesh is rising up in this area. And instead of being judgmental, instead of running off and saying, oh, brother, so-and-so, you wouldn't believe what they're dealing with right now. We need to go to prayer you need to pray over them. You need to bind the devil off of them, give them the word, and then support them in prayer and encourage them and come back and hold them accountable, especially if someone comes and asks you to pray for them, especially if you are, let me say this in quotes, a leader. And that can be whether you've got an official title or not an official title. But if somebody comes and asks you, you need to have an answer ready in season and out of season. Give them the word. Pray for them. Amen? All right. Our faith will produce our life. Part of that reason, let's go to 1 Peter 1, verse 23. When we put our, our to become a Christian, which I've already dealt with in depth, so I'm not going to go back and do that, we have eternal life because we have put our faith in the eternal gospel, the eternal word. 1 Peter um, chapter 1, verse 23. Now let's back up into 22. Since you having purified your souls and obeying the truth through the Spirit in sincere love, in sincere love of the brethren, love one another fervently with a pure heart 
having been born again, not of corruptible seed, but incorruptible through the word of God, which lives and abides forever. That lives and abides forever means it is eternal. Now that just doesn't mean length of days. One of the problems we have is when we look in the Bible and we see eternal. I saw someone use this illustration using a rope. That, you know, here's where we are now. And you imagine a rope going out there for infinite distance. That's eternity. That's part of eternity. But eternity isn't just length. It's also quality. You know, you can live eternally in the body you have now. Not going to be a lot of fun. In fact, there was an old movie years ago, and I can't remember the name of it, but the, these two ladies, someone offered them for a certain amount of money. They gave them an elixir, and it would give them eternal life in their bodies. And the warning that they gave them was, make sure you take care of this body. And by the end of the movie, they, you know, they're stapling arms back on their bodies, and they're having to fill in holes with, you know, Bondo putty, because they haven't, they're alive, but their bodies are falling apart, literally. Well, that would happen. If, you ha if all eternal life was for you, which means you're going to live forever, your body's going to be alive forever, I don't know that I want to live forever in this body. It's only 64 years old right now, and I don't, I don't enjoy it a lot of days. It, it, it gives me problems. It says, no, I don't want to do that. When I say, you're going to go do this and this and this, and it just screams. And I make it go do it, and it screams even worse, and it hurts sometimes for days. Well, eternal life isn't just length, it's quality of life. That's why God's going to replace this, this corrupt body with an incorrupt and an incorruptible body. It's not just that, that, that we're going to have long life, but we're going to have the quality of life beyond anything you can imagine or ask or think. Amen? We do that, though, because our life, the source of our life, comes from the eternal, living Word of God. It is alive if you put it on the inside of you and let it take root in you. Now, this is the pattern that however you begin something, that's how you're going to have to maintain it. If you start it with works, you're going to have to work hard to keep it going. If you start it in faith, it takes faith to keep it going. That's why everything we do uh, is, is on the basis of faith, but to the world, it looks like foolishness. Now, we've looked at two so far, and I'm just going to touch on these. The first paradox we looked at was giving, of, and it doesn't matter whether it's money. The, the Bible talks a lot about giving your money. And the, the paradox is the, the world says if you, if you want money, earn all you can get, can all you can get, or can all you get, and then sit on the can. And God's Word says earn all you can get, be generous with all you get and give into every good work that God tells you and then you will be rich. The whole purpose um, is in Deuteronomy 14.23. The very last part of that says if you, you know, well, let's read the entire verse. This is New Living Translation. It says, bring this tithe to the designated place of worship the place the Lord your God chooses for his name to be honored. 
and eat it there in his presence. This applies to your tithes of grain, new wine, olive oil, firstborn males of your flocks and herds. All of the different tithes that the Jewish people gave in the ancient times. The reason it says doing this will teach you always to fear the Lord your God. And the point is, in, in the, the point of the tithe and the point of giving is until God has control of your money, he does not have control of you. New Testament says, where your treasure is, there your heart will go also. It doesn't say your money will follow your heart. It says your heart will follow your money. Amen? We tithe, we give, because doing that teaches us to fear the Lord. In fact, if you look back at, at the Jewish history, the reason that they went into captivity for 70 years was because God said, every seventh year I want you to let the, the land rest, give it a Sabbath rest, don't plant any crops. And if you'll do this in the sixth year, I will give you so much that you can, you can bank that sixth year and live on it until the seventh year, until you get the crops from the next year in. And the Jews never did it. For 490 years in their history, they did not do it. And God said, if you're not going to trust me with your money, I'm sorry, you're going into captivity and you're going to be there for 70 years while I give the land the rest that you owed it to them. And it rested for 70 years. God takes giving seriously. And it's not because he needs money in heaven. We do need money in this earth. I'll be quite honest with you. There's not a, a nonprofit organization, church, parachurch, ministry that, had, that just looks around and says, you know, we got so much money coming in, we don't know where to put it. Almost every ministry I know needs more than they've got. And they're not doing things that they feel God has called them to do because of lack of money. That's where the rousing amen went. What we looked at last week was... If you want to be free, you have to make yourself a slave. And our, our, our key verse, Romans 6, 7, For he who has died has been freed from sin. You still have the nature of sin in your flesh body because the molecules, the materials that your body is made up of are part of this earth, and this earth still has the curse of the fall. So you still have the curse of the fall, the nature of sin, in your flesh body. But that's not the real you. The real you is that born-again spirit that was made brand new when you asked Jesus into your heart. And that part of you is free because it died and you are free from sin. You don't have to obey sin. In fact, if, if you drop on down in Romans 6 to verse 18, it says, having been set free from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. If you want to truly live out the sinless lifestyle, you have to make yourself a slave to righteousness, which translates, make yourself a slave to the word. And I will tell you, that does not happen accidentally. That only happens when you, when you live your life intentionally. You get into the Word. And I'll, I'll use this example. I have had, over the years, many people come to me and say, Brother, I'm believing to, that God's going to heal me. I'm believing for healing. Will you agree with me? And I always say, Yes, I will. 
And I always follow it up. What scripture are you standing on? 99.999% of the time, oh, I, I don't have a scripture. I'm just believing. I got faith. Well, you can have all faith all day and all night. Faith in what? Just the general principle that God can heal me? Well, a non-believer can believe that. If you believe that God exists, then by definition, if God is God, he can do anything he wants. He's sovereign. He can do stuff in the world. And if he wants to heal you, he can heal you. That's why most Christians aren't healed. In fact, a lot of them are just honest. They admit it. Well, I was in those prayers with, if it be your will. Well, how are you going to know if it's his will? Well, if I get healed, it's his will. If I don't get healed, it's not his will. Well, that makes it easy. Takes all the responsibility off you, puts it all on God. Now, don't misunderstand me. God's the only one that can manifest the healing. But you also have a responsibility to take him at his word. But if you don't know what his word is, you can't take him at that word. You need to go into the scripture. I don't care what the problem is. I don't care what the situation is. You need to go to the word, find an answer for your situation. And then go to God and say, God, this is what I'm believing you're going to do. You said right here in your word that you would do this and this and this for every Christian, for me. And so I'm believing you're, you've done it. You did it all in Jesus when he went to the cross. That's why at the end of the cross he said, it is finished. Jesus went to heaven, sat down at the right hand of the Father. When he's seated in heavenly places, that means he's finished working. And you are seated with him also. That means you're finished working. It's not a matter of you working it up. It's not a matter of you having to work hard and get it manifest in your life. But it is a matter of you changing your mind. And when you first start to get a revelation or you first even get a hint of a revelation that something's mentioned in the Word, you're not going to get in total agreement with it the first time you read it. You're going to have to meditate on it. When the devil comes and says, well, yeah, but that's for everybody else. That's not for you. You know why it's not for you? Because you just, look what you did yesterday. Look what you just thought five minutes ago. Real Christians don't have those kinds of thoughts. Yeah, they do. You know, I, I heard a minister once say, you know, you can't keep birds from flying over your head. That's thoughts. All you can do is keep them from making a nest in your head. It's not, it's not having the thoughts, it's taking that thought captive and making that thought submit to what the Word says. But if you don't know what the Word says, you cannot make your life and your thoughts submit to that Word. You have to do it on purpose. You have to go to the Word and center on the Word. And just dig into it, live in it. Now, how do I actually do this? This is the, the, our third one that we're going to pick up today. How do I, I conquer sin, the sin nature? You conquer by yielding. You give up. Lord, I can't do this anymore. And God's usual response is, well, I'm glad you finally figured that out. I've been, I've been waiting for you to give up for years. Let me do it. You, 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 are, you have strength by admitting how weak you are. 2 Corinthians Chapter 12, let's start in verse 7. 
Now let me, let me preface this. This is going to talk about Paul's thorn in the flesh. Paul's thorn in the flesh was not an eye sickness. He did not have a sickness in his eyes. If you go back and, and read about you know, the problem that Paul had with his eyes, and I, I forget the, the city's name now, but he was in one city. They drug him out of the city and stoned him to death. And the disciples gathered around him and prayed him. I believe they prayed him back to life. Now, that's my supposition. They may have just stoned him until they thought he was dead and he just revived on his own. But either way, he got stoned. And Jews were usually pretty good. When they stoned someone, they made sure they were dead. Well, if you've been stoned... You're going to be bruised and battered. You're probably going to have black eyes. You're going to be swollen. They picked him up, carted him to the next town. This is where, when it says, you would have plucked your eyes out to give them to me. This was their reaction. It wasn't that he had this Asian eye disease that, that unbelieving believers talk about. It's that he came to their first, the first time he came to their town, he was battered and bruised from being persecuted for preaching grace to the Gentiles. So when he talks about this thorn in the flesh, everywhere else in the Bible, when it talks about a thorn in the flesh, it's talking about people that persecute you. And Paul had a whole group of people that followed his ministry. They were called Judaizers. And when he would go somewhere and preach grace to the Gentiles, they would come right behind him and say, yeah, you know, Brother Paul was right about that. You can get saved. But what he didn't teach you, and we're here to give you further instruction, is you have to become a Jew to do that. And you have to take on all the customs of the Jews. You have to be circumcised if you're a male. You have to follow the dietary laws. You have to do everything. You have to be a Jew. And these are the people that Paul is referring to when he says the thorn in the flesh, not a disease. Let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting in verse 7. Lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me. Right there. It's a messenger of Satan. These are people that followed him that were trying to take and impose Satan's will where Paul was preaching grace. Lest I be exalted above measure. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. And he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. What God's telling him there is, Paul, once you figure out that you're not going to change this circumstance, and in this case, it's primarily about persecution. And if you're not being persecuted, my first response is you may not be living the life that you ought to be living. Because if you live an openly Christian life, people are not going to like it. They're going to get offended. But God told him, my grace is sufficient for you. This doesn't mean that you're just going to have to endure whatever bad thing comes your way. It's no, my grace is part of my power to help you to overcome in this situation. But you, his grace can't be manifest unless you're using faith in what he promised. 
Therefore, most gladly, I would rather boast in my weaknesses, my infirmities, New King James says, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. When you figure out I cannot do this on my own and in my own strength, then and you find a verse, you find a word that deals with the situation you're dealing with, and you say, God, you've called me to do this. And it works for healing, it works for everything. You've called me to walk in health, but I got all these symptoms. Your attitude has to be, I can't conquer them. But you can, because your word says you already did. And I'm believing you are going to bring about the healing. I consider myself healed right now because Jesus already paid the price for it. And I am going to confess and I am going to declare that your healing powers that work in me and that I am going to walk in health. And the devil will come to test you. He will come to test that word. He will come to steal your faith. And you will have to keep use. But, but when you put it straight to the word, then the power of Christ will rest on you. He will empower his word and he will give you the courage to stand up. Now you may have to, and I guarantee you when you first start this, you're going to have to repent a lot. Because you'll do it for a while and then you'll get a little tired and you'll say, well, I guess I'm not healed. I still feel rough. I still feel bad. And then you're going to have to take your brain, you take that thought and say, no, I'm taking that thought captive and bring it back to the Word and say, no, what's the Word say about this situation? It says I'm healed. And you're going to have to get back over on your confession and you're going to get back over and start declaring what you want. Charles Capps had the best saying on, on confession that I ever heard. He said, if you want your dog and it's out on the farm somewhere, he said, when you go down your backyard, you don't cry. Oh, my dog's not here. What do you do? You call the dog. You start, oh, if your dog's name is dog, it's like, come on, dog, let's go, come on. That's what you do with God's promises. You take his word and start calling his word and confessing his word and saying, this is how my life is because your word says my life is that way. And then that will come because God will back up his word. It's not because you are a great man of faith and power. It's because you are a man or woman, and you have a great God who is full of power. But you have to agree with him and quit calling him a liar. And let's just be frank, every time you declare something in your life that is opposed to what the Word says is, should be in your life, you've just said, yeah, I know your Word says that, God, but that's not for me. You didn't mean that for me. And if he clearly said it is yours, you've just implied you're a liar. Yeah, oh me. <clears throat> Paul, I love what Paul says at the end of verse 10, 2 Corinthians 12, 10. When I am weak, then I am strong. How can a weak man be strong? Because the power of God is resting on him. It's the same way, you know, you put somebody in a machine. We, we were talking yesterday. Um, somebody was asking Nate in men's prayer about a backhoe because he used to operate backholes. He does things with backholes. It's just, it's, it's amazing to watch the man work. When you've worked on them for years, you can just make that bucket do things that no normal person can do. But he can go out in his own strength, take a shovel, Get, I don't know, three, four pounds of dirt, 
move it three or four feet. But you can jump in behind the little, little machine, pull a couple of levers, and take a big bucket and reach out there and grab five, six hundred pounds of dirt, move it 30 feet, dump it, and come right back, and you, you haven't even broke a sweat. How can you do that? Because it's not your strength, it's the strength of the machine. Spiritually speaking, that's what Paul's talking about. When I rest in God's strength, it's not my strength. I'm just pulling the levers of faith, and God is doing the heavy lifting. Amen? It's exactly what um, Jesus said, Matthew 11, chapter, or verse 28 through 30. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's not that you're unyoked. It's that when you jump in that yoke with, with Jesus being on the other side of the yoke, because remember, oxen were always yoked in pairs. And they were, you didn't just have a standard one-size-fits-all oxen yoke. You usually had an adjustable yoke, and they would look at the two oxen, and they would take the stronger of the two oxen, and they would shorten his yoke a little bit and lengthen the weak ones a little bit to give them leverage so they could pull with the same amount of force. The weak one didn't have to pull as hard because he stood a little farther out from the center post. Well, we have a yoke. Jesus is right up next to the center yoke, and I'm about a gazillion miles out from the center post, got all kinds of leverage. In actuality, I'm yoked right there with him, and all I got to do is just walk with him, and he pulls the load. That's the strength. But you have to declare to yourself, I am weak, but through you, I am strong. Because it's your word that's at work within me, not my own power, not my own strength. Your grace is sufficient for me. Amen? Now, just to back this up, Hebrews chapter 11, this pattern of faith it's the basis for all of Christian life. It, it, you have to, what you start by faith, you have to maintain by faith. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 32. What more shall I say? This is, the, Paul's gone through and listed all of these great men and women of the Old Testament that did exploits of faith. He said, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, of Barak, of Samson, and Jephthah also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong. When they were doing it by faith, they were declaring, I can't accomplish this, but you can, Lord, and I'm depending on you. But every one of them had a word from the Lord. God had given them a specific direction. 
Now, we're in this situation where, yes, we should be getting a specific direction from the Word, but when you don't have a specific Word from the Lord, you have His general will in your hand. Primarily the New Testament. Primarily Romans through the end of Jude. Go through the epistles and read them and study them and eat them and consume them and find out what God's general will is for your life. Start acting on that. And Proverbs says it's the good steps of a man that God will watch over. He, it's like before power steering in cars. If you wanted to turn the wheels of a car, you had to move that car. You had to have it in motion. If you just had that thing sitting flat, you could hardly turn the tires on it. But as soon as you got it moving even a little bit, it spun really easily. God can direct you when you move. Well, I'm not sure if I've got the right direction. It doesn't matter. Move. And let believe Him to correct you when you're wrong. Even if you're going the wrong way, you can turn. Little turns will eventually get you facing the right way. Amen? 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 13. This is Paul, again, talking to Timothy on how to do this. Hold fast the pattern of sound words, which you heard from me, in faith and love which are in Jesus Christ, or Christ Jesus. The good thing which was committed to you, keep by the Holy Spirit who dwells in you. Notice what he says there in verse 13. Hold fast the pattern of sound words. That's the written word of God. Hold fast to the written word. Amen? Now, go back to Hebrews. We're going to look at chapter uh, 4. And we're also going to go back to chapter 11. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 1 and 2. This is talking about the nation of Israel. And, and the problem that they had, they had God's word. God told them, I'm bringing you out of Egypt. I'm taking you across the sea. I'm taking you to the promised land. But notice here, Hebrews 4.1, Therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them. But the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. The word will never profit you until you mix your faith in that word. The written word has power. But the power can't manifest in you until you put that written word in your heart. You do that by faith. You do that by saying, Lord, I am going to believe this promise for me. And then you start declaring that that promise is for you and that the, your life conforms to that promise. And your sin nature, the sin in your flesh will say, oh, that's not going to work. Your unrenewed mind will say, it's not going to work. Here's proof. And the devil will accommodate you. He'll manifest something. He'll bring pressure. You know, you, you can decide, I'm going to start giving. I'm going to start tithing. And you, you give away some money, and suddenly something breaks. Oh, Lord, I knew I shouldn't have given that money away. I knew I need that money now. Oh, what, what? Maybe I can get to the bank and put a stop payment really quick on that check. 
I wish I could get that cash back. No, that's when you have to start declaring and, and resting in him. Lord, I don't have the money. It's not, and please, if, if you don't have the money, don't write faith checks. That's not faith, that's, that's just wrong. When you write a check, you declare to anyone that this money is in the bank and you can cash that check at any time and it'll be there. Now, you can, let me, don't, don't make a mistake. You can write a faith check. I've done that before. You write out a check for a certain thing and you stick it out here and say, Lord, money's coming in to cover that check. But I don't, I don't give that check until I have the money in the bank to cover it. That's where your faith goes. But my faith is not in the check. My faith is in God I gave. I did what you said to do here. Now I'm believing you to bring the money in somehow. And I don't put restrictions on how he does it. But I have to mix my faith with that. It won't profit me until I mix my faith with it. Now, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3, and I've covered this several times in past uh, sermon, so I'm not going to go back and, and, and redo all of this. But it says, By faith we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God. That is a really bad translation in the New King James. Literally, that should read, By faith we understand that the aeons, that's the Greek word, aeons, everywhere else in the New Testament, that is translated ages. That the ages were framed by the word of God. That's the rhema, the revealed word so that the things which are seen were not made out of things which are visible. Verse 1 and 2, it's talking about the heroes of faith that he's going to go on and list in chapter 11. And his point here in verse 3 is these heroes of faith got a word from God and they framed the age that they lived in. They framed their life. They made their life intentionally, framed it and made it conform to what God said was going to happen to them. It isn't with intentionality. You have to do it on purpose. It has to become personal. And it doesn't really become personal. You don't really get a revelation of it the first time you declare that this is for me. Sometimes you have to meditate on it and meditate. And you get a little glimpse. And you get a little, little light on something. And you meditate on it a little more. And you get a little more light. And it keeps growing and growing and growing until one day you wake up and you say, My Lord, I've looked at that scripture hundreds of times and I've never seen it that way. That's for me. And you just got a revelation. And you'll run off to your friends and say, have you read this scripture? This is for me. And they're going to look at you and say, yeah. Why don't they get it? Because they don't have the revelation that you have. When you get a revelation, you see something for you in that scripture that other people, they might have a revelation of it for them, but they don't have, especially if it's a brand new revelation, it's like, man, the light, I was in darkness and now I can see. And you get excited about it and sometimes you can't understand why other people aren't excited. But that's how we frame our life. That's how we frame the, the age that we live in. I take a, a verse from the Bible and I intentionally implant it in my life and I say, this is how I'm going to live. This is what's going to be reality for me. And the world will look at you and say, you're a fool. None of that's true in your life. And you look at them and say, not yet, but it's coming. Well, how do you know? Because God said it. 
And God's got the power to back up his word. And if God can't back up his word, then I guess I'll be a fool. But I'll go down fighting. I'll go down declaring. I've said it before. If, I, if I'm laying in a hospital bed dying of cancer, I'll go out my last breath. I'll say, I'm healed. I'm healed. I'll fight till the last dog dies. Well, brother, that's fanatical. Amen. And I am. Now, last one. Um, we have to gain our life by losing our life. All over the place. I'm just going to give you two references, and they both say the same thing. Matthew 10, 39. He who finds his life will lose it. He who loses his life for my sake will find it. The key there is for my sake. When you abandon reason and put your life into faith and start living to see the New Testament lived out in your life, when your goal in life is to be just like the Apostle Paul, to follow him as he followed Christ, and that becomes the only thing that's important to you, nothing else matters, nothing else matters. I just want to follow God's will. I want to do what he said to do. I don't care what the cost. I don't care what the cost. I'll live in a cardboard box if it's what's required. When you get that committed to it, then you will gain your life. But you don't just gain your life. You gain your life with the power of God behind you. And if God's called you to live in a cardboard box, you'll be happy as a puppy in a cardboard box. It's not, it's not that God's called us to hardship. There are occasionally hardships and there will be persecution. But you can't allow other things to become more important than following God's will. But you have to know God's will to follow God's will. You have to have a vision for your life, a vision for your ministry, and every one of you has a ministry. You are called to the ministry of reconciliation. Everywhere you go, every moment of your day, you ought to be thinking, how can I share Jesus in this situation? How can I be a witness for Christ in how I live in this situation? And when you start doing that, God will start using you. Now, people will look at you and they'll think you're weird, but they already usually think we're weird. Matthew 16, 25 says, very similar. Whoever desires to save his life will lose it. For whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Again, the key is for my sake. Amen? How do we do that? And I'll close with this. Matthew 7, 24 through 27. This is the parable of the two houses. And the key here is two simple little phrases. Start in Matthew 7, start in verse 24. Therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine... And does them, and does them, and does them. We are, and I'm big on hear the word, hear the word, hear the word. I constantly want to surround myself with, with praise and worship music, but I want music that exalts the word. I don't, I don't, I, I, I'll just be honest with you. I love country music. I love bluegrass music. I can't listen to it anymore. Because most of it's, you know, somebody shot my dog and my wife ran off with my best friend and life's just miserable and I may just have to go get drunk tonight and drown my sorrows. Well, I don't need that. I don't need my mind focused on how bad my life is and how the bottle will, will you know, drown out all my sorrows. 
I need to have some scripture in the music. I love music. But I want it to be, and to be honest with you, there are some, I, I listen to Pandora a lot, it's an internet-based radio, but I listen to it for one reason. When a song comes on and it's got beautiful, uh, a, a beautiful melody and, and the lyrics just sound great, but they oppose the word, I hit the thumbs down and it doesn't play that song again. And I can program it over time to only play songs that I pick that exalt the, the, the New Testament and back up the New Testament. And same thing, I, there are a lot of preachers on, on TV. Some of them I listen to. Most of them I won't listen to because they'll mix a little faith and a little unbelief. And some of them just are all unbelief. But I'm very careful who I allow to put words into my ears. Because it'll have an effect on you. Amen? Verse 24. Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, will be like a foolish man who built his hand, house on the sand. The, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew, beat on the house, and it fell. And great was its fall. Two points here. We're hearing the words. The same attack comes on both houses. Centering your life on the Word of God and, and walking in faith does not mean you're not going to get attacked. It does not mean you're not going to have problems. In fact, in some ways, it's going to draw a big bullseye on your rear end. Satan will come and try to steal your faith every time. And the more faith you're trying to walk in, the more he's going to try to come and steal it. But the good news is when you get full of the Word, you've got lots of, of, um, of ammo to beat him back. You know, I don't want to get political here, but, you know, there's, there's a whole move out in the political world to disarm the populace. Well, I'm, I'm not big on guns. I am big on my angels. But if I know trouble's coming, I don't want just a 9 mil on my hip. I want a 9 millimeter on my hip while I'm sitting in my tank, while I got my rocket launchers out to the side. I want, I want so much weaponry when you pull around the corner and you look at my house and you think, I may just kick that door in. Suddenly you start seeing weapons pop up everywhere so that the second you try to kick my door in, you're just a, you know, a little red mist out there. And I'm not talking literally about people. I'm talking about spiritual warfare. It doesn't, being full of faith doesn't exempt you from the fight. It gives you something that when the devil shows up, you blow him out of the water. You have a ready answer. You say, no, sir, you can't do that in my house. You can't do that to me. You can't do that to my wife. You can't do that to my kids. You cannot do it at all. Here's what the word says. Now get, and he'll get, because he doesn't have a choice. But if you're ignorant of the word, guess what? You're going to sit back and cry and whine. Oh, why is life so hard? Why is life so miserable? I'm just so depressed. Well, depression comes to us all. And I'm not, I'm not negating depression, believe me. I've been there. I've been suicidal. 
Until you get into the Word, you don't have a weapon to fight it with. Word says right there in, 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 I forget where it is, it's in the Old Testament, I put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I feel like I want to just hang it up. What do I do? I put on a smiley face. Well, I don't feel like smiling. Do it anyway. It's a weapon. You're not just doing it because you feel like it. You're living it on purpose. You're saying, God, you said that the joy of the Lord is in my heart. Well, I'm going to start acting joyful because I don't feel joyful. I feel like quitting. I feel like giving up. But I'm not going to. And I'm too weak to get it done, Lord, so you're going to have to help me. And if you start, at some point he'll jump in with you. He will jump in and get behind you. And suddenly, and it, it, it may take a while. Some of these things, if it's taken you years to get to a point, it may take you a while to get out of that point. Same way with giving. Don't, don't misunderstand me. If, if, if you haven't given and you're in dire financial straits, you don't give into one offering, tithe one time, and suddenly, man, the checks just start rolling in. It may take you a while to work your way out of past disobedience. This is, I'm not, this is not a pie in the sky. This is not life's just going to be a big cherry pie. Some of those cherries are going to have pits in them. But it is a way to work your way out of the hole. The first rule when you find yourself in a hole, quit digging. Start filling in. That's what the Word does. It may take you a while, especially if you've dug a deep hole. Believe me, I've dug some deep holes. Some of those holes, I dug some holes... It's taken me 20, 30 years, and I'm still not quite out. But I'm well on my way. Amen? The difference, though, one does the sayings of his, one does not do them. If you do his sayings, if you get his word, and you do it, and you do it, and you do it, and you do it, and when you quit doing it, you repent, you get back and start doing it again, the storms will come, but your house will not fall. Why? Because it's founded on the rock. It's founded on the Word. It's founded on the power of Christ. And He cannot fail because He's already conquered all. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come before You. Thank you so much for joining us. If this message has blessed you today, we invite you to visit us in person at Faith Community Church or online at FCCIndianapolis.com. 